Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Join our hosts as they discuss a wide range of topics and speak with leading cybersecurity, technology, and compliance experts. Now is the time for Secure Talk. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. Secure Talk is brought to you by Adequest, your cybersecurity and compliance partner. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I am here today with the CEO of Adequest, Hiram Machado. Hiram, how are you? I'm doing fantastic, Mark. Good to be here. Uh, likewise. Hey, so we're getting to the end of 2018 here, and I um, thought it'd be a good idea to kind of take a look at some current events and then maybe give um, a look forward, look into the crystal ball, so to speak, as what we can expect in terms of cybersecurity in 2019. How does that sound to you? That sounds great. Let's great. do it. Well, first off, you know, I, what I see is that there's an increasingly um, greater amount of attention on large data breaches. And it seems, I don't know if the frequency is increasing or the severity is increasing, but definitely they're on the front page a lot more often. So either the news outlets are becoming more aware of it, the, the regulatory bodies, or just the general public. Um, are you seeing the same thing? Yeah, I do believe the frequency is definitely increasing. Now, when mm -hmm. you look at out there, today there is more digital data than ever before, of mm -hmm. course, right? And that trend will continue, right. right? As everything becomes more and more digital, and that means more, you know, uh, uh, more material, <laughs> Right. You know, for for attackers to to exploit and and, uh, and to explore, um, there is more passwords out there that have been already being breached and it's in the in the in the black market right now right. being transacted, right? And, and they are using those passwords to so, you know, so infiltrate corporations and whatever they can. So companies have a lot more data; they're storing more data, um, and then there are more tools and avenues to exploit. Uh, platforms to access that data, right? Right. right yeah. Um, and I, I, you know, I've heard you make the point sometimes that data can actually it can be a great asset, but it also can be a liability, right? Uh, data is definitely a liability, especially data that you don't need, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? It's right. Uh, I do the analogy of uh, having uh, if you work with chemicals, right? Right. And uh, you don't want to store more chemicals in your Garage than what you absolutely need. Absolutely right? not. Get rid because, of them. Get rid of them because, in, uh, but you do need some. That is, it's kind of inevitable. But in case of an accident or something happens, you want to have the minimum amount of chemicals there. So it's you, the, the effect of that um, accident is not a, as as bad. So it's same thing for data. You want to have the minimum amount of data, just what you need. Should you have an accident, you know that you, the, your exposure to it or the damage it might cause is going to be limited as much as we can. Right, and there's a couple different kinds of exposure. One is the actual damage that it can cause to you as a company or to the uh, individuals that that data is related to. But there's also some regulatory damages that can uh, be, take place. If you are holding data that you don't actually have a business case for um, and there's a breach, or if you don't notify regulatory bodies in the appropriate uh, amount of time, there is a liability issue there as well, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's the balance between, you know, complying with regulations. There will be regulation, however, that will hold you accountable for keeping the data for a certain amount of time, right? right. And, and you absolutely should and will maintain that data for that uh, amount of time, but probably not for any more than that amount of time. Exactly. Right? And that's 
I mean, we'll take a look at a couple of recent breaches. Um, Cathay Pacific, the uh, the flagship airline for Hong Kong, um, they had a breach early this year, um, and the data for over nine million people uh, was compromised, and that included uh, expired credit card numbers, uh, passport information, Hong Kong ID card uh, numbers, millions of names and phone numbers and email addresses, and the the breach started or they identified it in March, okay? And they didn't report to the authorities until October, okay? And it's, it's, it's very interesting because I was in Hong Kong when this was on the, uh, the front page of the South China Morning Post, and there was a quote. I'm going to read you the quote from a representative from the Hong Kong Police Department. He said, Waiting six or seven months and undertaking a series of actions they claim to be an investigation or remedial action is actually, from a law enforcement point of view, tampering with evidence. So not only is it uh, being <clears throat> not following the, the, the um, reporting guidelines, it could be considered as a criminal act of tampering with evidence because what you're doing is you're kind of covering the trail so that the regulators could get in there or can't get in there and identify what actually happened. And that's a really interesting perspective, and I don't think we've heard that much uh, like that in the past. We'll probably hear more of that going forward. Oh, absolutely. And whether it's intentionally or not, right? Whether there was, I have seen situations, and I have had clients that were legitimately trying to identify the issue, get to the bottom of it, and fully understand everything before they comply. But meanwhile, time is passing, right? And they are now, you know, breaching another, they are entering into another problem, which is, no compliance with some of those regulations. So finding that balance is critical, right? right. And, and, and the moment that you identify every organization, you must understand, you know, what am I liable to? What are the regulations that I must comply with? And what do those regulations demand of right. me? Well, do? for example, with GDPR, I think the, the reporting guidelines are, uh, requirements are 72 hours, right? 72, yes. Okay. And a lot of organizations will say, well, we're not sure if we fall under GDPR or if that really affects us because, you know, we don't have many employees there or we don't have customers there. And, and oftentimes there's uh, some uncertainty. One thing I'd like to say is like, okay, if you're not sure about GDPR, um, you should be concerned with other regulatory bodies. For example, you know, if you're dealing business in California, if you're doing business in China, Brazil recently enacted something very similar to GDPR, right? It's very similar to similar. It's pretty much the same thing. And it, it was interesting because in the same breach, this Cathay Pacific breach, the, um, <clears throat> the newspaper reported that, the, um, that it might be difficult for Hong Kong customers to uh, receive damages. And they also said that the Cathay Pacific probably wouldn't have to worry about GDPR because, they said, the European Union's general data protection regulation requires companies do disclose data breaches within 72 hours, but companies in Hong Kong are not required by law to promptly report any leak. That actually isn't true, right? Because if, if the company is dealing with data that relates to an EU resident, right. then they are required. And I'm guessing of the, what was the number, 9 million people, because the, the population of Hong Kong is, I think, only about 5, 6 million, maybe, I, I, we'll, we'll look it up afterwards, 7 million maximum, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and so some of that pe those people were probably EU residents, and if a significant number were, they definitely would have to report under GDPR. 
And that's an important thing for, uh, especially when it comes to GDPR, for organizations to understand. It's not about location. It's about what kind of data are you dealing with. And like you said, Mark, if you're dealing with European citizen data, uh, you are already. <laughs> that, that's, that's by default. You, are now, you now must comply with GDPR. Right. And you might, <clears throat> in the case of Cathay, they might be the, um, the controller of the data. Right? They're collecting that data, but they might say, oh, well, our loyalty program uh, provider is actually processing all that data. Well, guess what? <laughs> if you're the controller, um, you're liable for the activities or the security posture of that processor. Right. And that's a very important concept for organizations to understand, too. And I have seen people getting confused with this over and over, which is that it's not only about... Uh, uh, dealing with the data in, in the technical aspect of how you collect the data. You know, it's the, it's, the, it's the responsibility. If you are the one inquiring, right, under your brand, inquiring the, this European citizens to give their information to you, it doesn't matter who processes it. You're now liable to make sure that that data is properly handled, even if it's a third party handling on your behalf. It's still your responsibility and they're equally liable. Absolutely. And, it, it, you know, it comes back to, again, I think we're just starting to really gather some strong momentum in terms of awareness of what companies' liabilities are, what their responsibilities are. Um, the, the general public is becoming, at least in North America anyway, much more aware and concerned about abuses of their data and whether there's been a breach. I, I think the, the EU has been kind of ahead of us um, in terms of that understanding that the, the you know, individuals have the right to protect their data, but the momentum is increasing here. And I think EU is ahead of probably most everyone else around the globe, but they are definitely you know, creating a trend. You can see, it, as you mentioned, in Brazil, which just created a new law, which is just like GDPR, the state of California, and the same thing. I, I, regulations are, uh, regulators around the globe, are everybody's looking at this issue. And if I was to think about 2019, I can see a lot more coming up in 2019, like the California, like the Brazil, and that's going to pop up everywhere. And I would, I would expect everything to follow, give and taking, you know, the, the, the footsteps of, of uh, GDPR. Um, so there is something to be said about, you know, even if you don't, you're not liable to comply with GDPR, uh, there are certain things in GDPR that's probably you can look at it as good pra and best practice, right? Absolutely. And uh, you probably should at least uh, uh, take a look at it and see what are the best practices that I, that we need to apply here. Because there are some key areas. One one is collecting only data that is relevant to your business or that you have a business need for to collect. Okay. Um, another one is do you have the proper controls in place to protect that data? Okay. Right whether that's encryption, de-identification, et cetera. Um, and another one is, is, are you maintaining the appropriate security posture? And then there are some other things like, you know, the, um, the right to be forgotten and, and, and the right of rectification. And do you have processes in place to manage those requests, right? And you, those processes and the, that security posture, those data protection principles may not have to mirror exactly what, what you're saying in the GDPR regulations, but in general, most countries and most uh, regulatory bodies are moving in that direction. So you're going to need to do something. Absolutely. Okay. Um, I'm going to take a look at one other breach because uh, I, I think it ties into some of the work that we, we do at Adequest. 
um, and that's Marriott. Marriott, um, <clears throat> they uh, acquired the Starwood uh, uh, chain of hotels, and um, it took four, Marriott four years to identify the breach, okay? And after they identified it, they still took 25, uh, excuse me, 20 days to alert the people that were affected by the breach. So again, it was a big delay. Now, part of that is, um, I'm gonna quote a, a security specialist. He said basically when, the, in, when Marriott acquired Starwood, it needed to treat the newly acquired infrastructure and applications and systems as a business critical risk until they could identify and map out the new and expanded attack service and prioritize risk reduction. Um, that was a quote from Simon Rowe, he's product, product manager of Outpost 24. Now, can you talk a little bit about that in terms of the risks involved when you acquire another organization? Absolutely, that's something that we are very involved with, with many of our customers. And, and uh, when a bigger, usually a bigger organization acquires a small organization, a smaller organization, uh, th that smaller organization may not have, may or may not have, all of the security controls in place, you know, at the same level and standards that a bigger organization usually maintains it. Uh, so as soon as that's announced, or as soon as the, it's, uh, uh, there is even a speculation that that, that um, company may be targeted by an acquisition, that's an opportunity for attackers. That's an opportunity for them to uh, infiltrate themselves into that organization and just wait for the bigger organization to come in, connect the pipes, and they can now get into the, the larger organizations. It's very common for hackers to look for uh, vendors, smaller providers, uh, that, that provide people that provide services to larger organizations to infiltrate the larger organization through them. Hence, the need to for every acquisition, even before announcement, the proper due diligence over, you know, an assessment of the current IT infrastructure of the acquired organizations um, should be done and proper security controls should be in place before they connect the pipes, if you will, before any integration ever takes place, security assessment and hardening of those security controls if not properly uh, set up should happen before integration. That's what we advise our customers to do and how we go about it when we're involved on. Well, that's some, some very good advice. And it's, it's interesting because um, I know that when companies or organizations are going through the acquisition process, they do a risk assessment, but it's usually related to the financial risk or if they're taking on employees, the social costs or the, the, the HR related risks, right? right. Um, we don't often hear um, about companies looking at the potential um, data protection or right. IT security right. risk. Right. And I and I gotta guess, I mean, with, with news like this and the increasing focus on data protection, IT security, that it's gonna be important. Another interesting dynamic on this acquisition um, process is that the ROI of an acquisition is integration, right? Right. You know, most companies are acquiring another organization because it does make sense for them to integrate and leverage uh, um, the best of each organization. So usually there is this eagerness that like companies, we are acquiring them and we want that integration to take place as soon as possible so we can fully you know, leverage all of the benefits in, 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 in the reasons why <laughs> we made this acquisition in the first place. Absolutely. So in, in, in cybersecurity may be overlooked in, in, in that. That, as part of that due yeah. to that eagerness to, to Yeah, get I, I've together. seen companies um, 
yeah, like in the, in the localization industry, companies that acquired um, organizations and two or three years later still hadn't integrated their IT platforms. So they're missing out on a lot of that leverage. And, you know, in that industry, it could be leveraging in terms of payments, payments or the freelance network or the HR, um, you know, platform. And I think a lot of companies underestimate the complexity going mm, in. Yeah. And it, you know, could probably um, pay dividends to do a little planning on the front side. Yeah. And I have also seen larger, very larger organizations with a two to three years backlog of acquired companies that have not been integrated. Wow. Right now. Okay. Hey, um, I, recently there was an article in the Wall Street Journal um, about how CISOs are getting more autonomy in organizations. Um, did you happen to catch that? Uh, absolutely. I think that the role of the CISO is definitely growing a lot as the, um, for every organization, the, the uh, attack surface is increasing as things get digitalized, right? right? And, um, and the importance of, of protecting data becomes more and more important. And there is a new trend of really trying to separate, right, the, the CISO from the, from the CIO. Right. Role, right, and really have them as two different departments. The CIO job is to uh, leverage technology and utilize technology as much as you can, as quickly as you can, as efficiently as you can. And the CISO job becomes protecting those. And the idea of separating them is to, uh, uh, is, you know, is the notion that you know, if you're trying to maximize in terms of time, you might end up compromising, <laughs> right? Right, cybersecurity in lieu of speed to market or something like that, and have that counterbalance and having the CISO at the same level of the CIO, right, to provide that counterbalance and make sure that there is the right amount of compromise, right, uh, is is a new trend that we have seen. So, yeah. what would you? How would you explain that or the importance of that to an organization where they say, look, you know. Uh, we get that the CIO, he is running an operation that helps us to optimize or uh, run our business in a more efficient manner, right? Um, we get the, the head of marketing, they're, they're helping um, to develop our brand or sell more products. We get the sales guys, you know, the head of sales, chief revenue officer. Um, we get what the CFO does. But the CIO, how are they contributing to the bottom, excuse me, the CISO? How is the CISO contributing to the bottom line? Well, um some of it is all about um, uh, uh, what kind of risk are you incurring. And many, especially uh, mid-sized business, there is a new statistic that shows that a lot of the mid-sized business, small and mid-sized business, cannot survive a attack. Cannot they do not survive. Once they are hacked or they are compromised, they go out of business. <laughs> so the CISO is, is trying to protect your brand and, uh, and, and protect your assets. Mm -hmm. So you are either not out, out of business and or are not suffering enough that can um, really be detrimental to your, to your organization. So I think the understanding that, and when you put in perspective that hackers are out there, it will happen. Right. It's not a matter of if it will, it's when it will. Right. Right? So um, enhance the importance of the CISO because it's happening, it will happen. We see this with big names as we have mentioned here today. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't make the news, but there is tons of small business every day <laughs> being hacked and, and being compromised and some of them going out of business. So if I could summarize our conversation so far, 
Um, we're going to see an increasing awareness by the general public in terms of their rights and their risks related to data protection or data leakage. We're going to see companies that are going to be working harder to protect data. Um, we're going to see governments that are creating um, stricter controls and regulations related to data protection uh, and cybersecurity. And we're also going to see companies probably adopting either more CISOs or um, the or giving the CISO a, um, an equal place at the board level or yes. at, the, at the C level, right? So, Absolutely. Okay. Those, those are all interesting trends. Let's, let's look a little bit about what Adequest is going to be doing in, in, in the context of all of that. I mean, what are some of the areas that um, Adequest is most active right now in relation to what we just discussed, yeah. the protection of data, um, IT security, etc. Yeah, I think one of the one of uh, the most popular thing that we are doing right now is what we call the CIE, the Customer Immerse Experience, You're right? Um, around compliance, we have uh, uh, in partnership with Microsoft, we um, have a package that we. Uh, uh, can go to organizations and really bring the leadership team together, mostly the leadership team together, um, in exercise. We show them, right, hands on, what happens if you, you know, if you receive an email that is compromised, and here it is, you know, in a very secure environment, what happens to that email and how that data get compromised, and what if you try to send an email out of the organization, and you have a number of credit cards in it, and you try to forward that email to an outside. If you have the right controls in place, what happens and how that gets, uh, how can that be prevented? So it's very enlightening to a lot of the executives, right, when they have the opportunity to, you know, hands-on experience what, you know, threat, what some threats, how some threats behave, and also how some security controls, you know, addresses some of those those challenges. Right. So basically, we're not going in with a bunch of slides and saying, you know, here are some concept and here are some the names of some tools. We're actually um, giving them a chance to use those tools and see how they actually work. And I think they, they typically average, uh, last about three to four hours for a CIA. Yeah, about three hours, yeah. yeah, yeah. About three to four hours. And, and what our facilitators are really good at is they actually map out use cases that are... Um, directly related to the typical use cases of a company. So for example, if a company has a lot of BYO devices, uh, BYOD devices, um, they will map out use cases where the company can protect corporate data on those devices, but not swipe personal data. Yeah. Um, they'll map out use cases in, for example, if they're using iOS devices or if they're using corporate devices, if they have uh, company apps or basically, and they can also map it out based upon role, right? By, you know, the, the financial officer or the financial team will need access and rights to a certain set of data, but your salespeople, they don't need that data. And maybe the HR people need even access to even more sensitive data. So you need to be able to map all that out. Yeah, and absolutely. And one thing, one concept that I think it's important for people to understand and realize, you know, there is no outsourcing of cybersecurity, right? The business owners, you own the data, right? Now, IT may be the custodian of that data because they set up the database, they set up the systems that uh, that will enable you as a business owner, as a as a VP of uh, HR or VP of finance or marketing. They will enable, they will provide you technology that will enable you to, to handle that data. But uh, they are the custodians of the data, 
right? Um, you as a you're the business owner as a as a director of finance or VP of finance as a VP of HR, you own the data. Therefore, you too have responsibility <laughs> over cybersecurity of that data, right? right. And uh, and you have to partner with you know your IT department, partner with your CISO if you have one, to make sure that the data is protect protected. But don't outsource it. <laughs> it's not an outsourcing thing. Don't say, well, the, the, I have a CISO. He's responsible for cybersecurity. No, everybody is. And the CIE is a good way to show that, you know, how everybody can <laughs> contribute and be part of and, and be alert and, and understand what they can do and what their part is around cybersecurity in their organization. Absolutely. I mean, one of the first steps to improving your security posture is just creating awareness amongst everybody in your organization uh, in terms of potential threats or, you know, what does a phishing email look like or, uh, you know, what what are some bad um, security practices that you should avoid, right? right? And, you know, bad password hygiene, for example, right? Mm. So just create some initial awareness there. Um, and by creating awareness, one, you're shutting down some attack vectors, hopefully, but also you're telling people, like what you just said, hey, this is also your responsibility too. Don't just walk around and think like, hey, everything's okay. You know, no, I mean, you, you, everybody has to do their part. Mm. Um, what are, in terms of the... Um, the actual work that Adequest is doing with large organizations, what, you know, I think we're, we're doing a lot of work around MFA, conditional access. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, and um, I think that the, the popularization of uh, BYOD, right, mm -hmm. bring your own device, uh, uh, that is pretty much the norm nowadays, right, where organizations now, there's no more, here is your BlackBerry, <laughs> for your business calls and you know use whatever you want personally now everybody wants to use their own personal phone or even sometimes personal computers plus the proliferation of you know IoT internet of things that basically means lots of devices that connects to the network connects to your infrastructure um, with that in mind with all of that that thing i think uh, intune as a mdm as a, a device management tool uh, it's becoming more and more popular. We have done a lot of work around Intune. Uh, and I think that's going to be a trend for 2019 mm -hmm. as, as IoT becomes more and more popular. And uh, that device management and, and the ability to manage the devices that connect to the network, those are usually referred to as endpoints. Right. right? And um, in cybersecurity, you can consider that every endpoint is a vector of attack. Sure. Right, that is a possibility of an intruder to come through that endpoints. So making sure that organizations map out, <laughs> you know, what are the endpoints connected to our network? Mm -hmm. Do they have the right protection? Do we have the right policies to govern, you know, the, the interaction between that endpoint device and how they connect and interact with data in our in our infrastructure. Can you give a couple examples of policies? Because, I mean, some people don't fully get the concept. If you're not super technical, well, I won't even say super technical, but if you're not actually doing the Intune um, deployment, mm -hmm. you might not get what a policy is versus sure. a policy that's on a piece of paper versus an Intune policy. Absolutely, yeah. yes. Well, policy could be, for example, you could um, limit the ability to connect endpoints device unless they're listed. Right okay. on your that's called a whitelist, right? right? So you basically collect the uh, uh, identification of that device and say, 
you know, uh, only these devices or these devices are um, allowed to, or you can rather create some level of conditional access, right? Where you say, you know, this device is, is can connect as long as it's within, you know, if it's in, in this city, right. right? But as long as these devices connect from someplace else, uh, I'll have additional layers of, you know, I'll add additional layers of authentication right. or prevent that device from connecting altogether depending on on uh, your policies. But that's th those are business discussions to be had right. in the organization. But for example, okay, if that device is, if somebody that usually not do not travel out of the sun travels and connect from someplace else, I want to make sure that I validate right. that that person it is indeed a, you know, a person that I, 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 I allow to connect here. And it might trigger a second factor authentication, referred to as MFA, right? And say, okay, I'm going to send a code to his phone, mm -hmm. and unless he types that code, I'm not going to allow him in. Um, not to count, you know, antivirus and the ability to say, these are the, the antivirus, we push the latest and greatest antivirus to every endpoint device, and we may or may not allow the end user mm -hmm. to make chains to that antivirus configuration, and that's an example of policy that you establish on the business level and say, this is how we operate right. here, and users can have their device, but they cannot change the configuration of antivirus, for example, without our uh, uh, our control. Those are some of the examples. Okay, excellent. Thank you so much. Um, we're, I guess, getting close to the, the end of the session, but um, any other thoughts related to um, what we can expect in 2019? Yeah, I think you summarize it pretty well early on. I think um, regulation, I think, is going to be, is going to continue on being mm -hmm. a big, big topic. I think we'll see more. <laughs> mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we'll see more attacks. Things are advancing very quickly. And, um, and it will be, I, I really believe that the next several years is going to be, you know, a pull and push kind of uh, situation where, you know, new, form of attacks will pop up and we're going to have to defend against those and new forms of defending is going to be pop up and I think that the professionals of cybersecurity have to stay on top of this mm -hmm. uh, more so than you know previous years and and I think that we do need every organization need to think about how do we you know give enough awareness you know to the whole organization uh, starting with the executive team Right. Right. How do we get the executive team to understand what's their role in the cybersecurity, and then from there propagate to every member of the organization what their role uh, um, is around uh, cybersecurity of that organization. Excellent. Well, I think that was a great summary and some really good advice. Hiram, it was great talking with you, and uh, wish you, you the best in 2019. Likewise. Thank you, Mark. Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Join our hosts as they discuss a wide range of topics and speak with leading cybersecurity, technology, and compliance experts. Now is the time for Secure Talk.